0: questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society, and we are as a people, inherently and historically, opposed to secret societies, the secret oaths, and the secret proceedings. Those were the words of President John F. Kennedy. Tonight, we provide a 360-degree view of the shadow government, the deep state, and the CIA and its function. Tonight's special guest will discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of the agency he loved and served for so many years. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Famburgas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, Want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback? Just click on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. I always love to hear from you. Today's special guest is Kevin Shipp, a former Central Intelligence Agency officer, intelligence and counterterrorism expert, who held several high-level positions in the CIA. He is the recipient of two CIA Meritorious Unit citations, Three exceptional performance awards, and a medallion for high risk overseas operations. He holds a master's level degree in forensic psychophysiology. Mr. Ship is the author of the best selling book from the Company of Shadows, an expose on CIA operations and the abuse of government secrecy. Mr. Ship has come out to expose what he calls the shadow government, the massive system of secrecy and corruption that controls the elected U.S. government behind the scenes. His speeches have received standing ovations. His website is fortheloveoffreedom.net, and he joins us directly from South Georgia. Hello, Mr. and Welcome to Veritas. How are you?
1: Hi, Mel. Thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. May I call you Kevin?
1: You sure may. Thank you.
0: Well, before we begin with your story, I'm curious, Kevin, about something. How does a former CIA officer write a book about this CIA? Does every word in every line approved by the CIA before it can be released?
1: Uh, Yes, it does. They look at every sentence and every word, and uh, they have to prove it before the book is released. And uh, if you look at the book, I included the parts that they blacked out, and a lot of that was not classified. Uh, They violated the law and blacked out. There were some people that were injured and poisoned, and they blacked out accounts of that, uh, which is illegal for them to do. And then they uh, threatened me with the state secrets privilege and told me if if I talked about what they would blacked out in the book, they'd invoke the state secrets privilege, which had the penalty potentially of prison. My response back was, well, you broke the law. And I went straight straight to the press and gave an interview taking a, taking a great risk. Uh, so we had a stalemate. There was nothing they could do because what they did was illegal for about four years. We didn't know if I was going to be whisked away in some black suburbans. Uh, my wife and I. Uh, But I made a decision that I was not going to let them violate the Constitution like that and trample on our freedoms with that kind of abuse of power and secrecy. So I came out and wrote from the company's shadows and included a code in the book that exposes some of the blackouts that they made. And then I put the the key to the code out on the Internet for everybody to see. And I understand the book wound up on the director of uh, the CIA's desk. And it's pretty clear. Uh, uh, Of course, I know a lot more uh, than I, I can ever say. Um, kind of Snowden-like things, so we've got kind of an understanding. Uh, they, they basically leave me alone and, and don't do anything about the code, and and uh, that's where we stand. So I've been speaking on this, I'm on the shadow government, and its gross abuse of secrecy, but for a little over five years now.
0: Who was Judith, this, this is at the end of your book, but since you're talking about stay secrets privilege that I'd like you to define also, who was Judith Pellia, if I'm pronouncing that right, Lothar?
1: Yeah, Judy Lothar, and I have a pretty dramatic interview with her in the book, was the daughter of Arthur uh, uh, Lothar, who was one of the RCA engineers that was killed in a very, very serious and tragic plane crash in Waycross, Georgia. It was an Air Force uh, program testing some so-called classified uh, equipment they had on board. The crash happened. There were three RCA engineers on board. Uh, Judy Lothar's uh, mother was one of the widows. Uh, all three of them asked the Air Force to give them evidence of what caused the crash. Uh, the Air Force refused. So they filed suit against the government to get the crash report and find out what happened. Well, the, other, the government, as it often does, um, it's one of their modus operandi's claimed, Well, we can't show you the crash report because it's secret. So the widow sued. It went to court. And the court uh, it, in, in that case, uh, after the 1948 crash, just created uh, out of thin air and basically from the monarchy of England is where that doctrine came from. We, we thought we were supposed to get away from that. But uh, from the monarchy of Eng- England, they devised and created the state secrets privilege based on that case, which gives the government um, uh, a total power to shut down any case against it uh, with impunity and seal it. So not even Congress can have access to it and if any of the plaintiffs talk about it afterwards uh, they are threatened with with prison so it's the most tyrannical uh, uh, privilege the government has, has had and the thing is is later on it was judy Lothar that found the actual crash report to that crash on the internet it was not classified it was unclassified and the crash resulted from gross negligence on the part of the pilots who had not flown that uh, uh, that plane? They were trained four days before they got on board. An engine went out. The pilot overcompensated and drove the Superfortress bomber nose first into the farm in Waycross, Georgia. So it was negligence. The report was unclassified. The government lied about it. The the, the courts upheld that lie, and the state secrets privilege is law today and, for example, was used by the NSA to stop any scrutiny of the NSA domestic surveillance program. Anytime any any person or organization tried, they just shut it down with the state secret privilege. So that's how powerful and how unconstitutional that privilege is.
0: And we'll discuss FISA or FISA, whatever you want to call it. We're going to discuss that later because that's all over the news lately. But let's go back in time first, just to give the audience a perspective of who you are. Tell us about your beginnings in the CIA before you applied and after?
1: Well, it's funny. Uh, before I applied, I was a starving biologist. My undergraduate d- degree is in biology and I was kind of an environmentalist. And uh, I was approached uh, by a friend who was currently working at the agency and, and said, hey, why don't you apply there and uh, uh, you know, see if you can get in? Well, my response to him was, look, I was pretty crazy in college. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if I'd make that screening process because I was, Quite a party when I was at Virginia Tech University, but I climbed in antennas, climbed antenna, antenna. climb antenna, antenna. climb antennas, antennas to touch the red light red on top. Light on top. Uh, yeah, I don't know how you knew that, but yeah, I did that. <laughs> I, I broke into a radio station uh, in Falls Church, Virginia, climbed to the to- all the way to the top and touched the red light. And what most people don't know is, when you get that high up there, that thing's swaying back and forth. Uh, uh, we smoked, uh, we we drank, we did everything you could uh, you could think of, and and uh, so with my checkered past, I never thought I would get in there. Um, so I applied, uh, uh, got several phone calls from Mr. X asking if I wanted to continue my employment over about, uh, goodness, about a course of a year. And I kept saying yes. And then the neighbors started telling me that the FBI had come by and w- were asking questions about me. So I knew it was in process. Um, uh, still not thinking, you know, I would get in, but, but, uh, finally I get a phone call. Uh, congratulations, Mr. Ship. you have your first interview would you come into CIA headquarters and uh, and for your first interview for possible employment? So I go to CIA headquarters. Uh, they process me in there. I go all the way into the first floor through all security. Uh, I am I'm sit, sit down in this little room and lady comes out and says, Mr. Ship, so and so will see you now. And of course, I got to protect all these names. So I walk down this hallway with all these combination locked doors and walk into the office of the big chief who's sitting behind his desk. And uh, these are the days when you could smoke in government buildings. So he's back sitting back behind his de- desk, chain smoking away. And he says, Kevin, uh, have a seat there. So I sit down. And, of course, it's one of those chairs where you sink way down in the chair, you know. So you're kind of looking up at the desk. And he goes, uh, all right, Kevin, I got some questions uh, as we process you that I want to ask you. And I said, sure. Yes, sir. Go ahead. He goes, uh, first question I have uh, for you, Kevin, is uh, have you ever broken the law? And I was like, well, that's the end of this interview. So I went through, yeah, climbed to the top of WMOD radio tower. Let's see. We smoked pot in college. I drank beer. Uh, we, uh, I went through a litany of things uh, that I had done in my college days. And, and when I was finished, I said to myself, well, I told the truth. I guess that's the end of this interview. He sits back, takes a drag off his interview, blows the smoke through his nose and says, uh, no, I got no problem with that. You want to continue? <laughs> I said, yes, sir. So they continued with the process and eventually led to the CIA polygraph, which is kind of like getting a root canal. I made it through that and then eventually got in, into the CIA and, and eventually became an officer.
0: And what motivated you to join the CIA? I know your friends were telling you, but is that a fascination that you had? Or was that in your family? And you may have found that out after you joined the CIA.
1: Well, my, my dad was in the CIA, although we never knew what he did, and he was closed-lipped with what he did. He he did not even know I had applied and certainly didn't know I, I was hired because he never talked about what he did. And then, of course, one day we see each other in headquarters and we start having lunch, which is pretty cool. But uh, so he, he although he had worked there for, goodness, 15, 20 years, we had no idea what he was doing. He had no idea that I'd applied, and then it all just came together. I, I joined the CIA because of love for country. And uh just just out of patriotism I wanted to get in there and make a difference and, and uh try to protect the US as most people do when they apply to the CIA there's a lot of patriotic people that apply there's others that are fascinated with the secrecy and and uh want to be a spy and you know they got they wind up making stupid mistakes because uh, they're getting in for the wrong reason but uh uh I, I love this country and I got in there to serve and see what I could do and and that's that's uh that's the reason I applied Let me read this
0: from your book for a moment. It's a quick uh, quote. Congress must continually hold the CIA accountable and provide oversight, ensuring it it functions under the restraints of the Constitution and protects the freedom of the Americans it serves. This has not always been the case, and in the past, Congress has been forced to take action and rein in the CIA in. The agency does not operate by popular vote, and the majority of its actions take place in the darkness of secrecy, unquote. is this happening today? I ask you because it seems that at least since the JFK assassination, Kevin, the CIA has been operating almost as a rogue entity without
1: any oversight. Well, I think that's true, uh, and that's the nature of secrecy generally. And we have to go back to the National Security Act of 1947, which created the CIA. And the CIA was created by Harry Truman, who later regretted it, called it a sinister and mysterious agency, said that he regretted ever creating it. But the CIA was created without the consent or approval of Congress. It was it was created by an executive order from uh, Harry Truman. And as I mentioned later, regretted because of some of the horrendous things the CIA was doing. They were they were connected to the Nazis. They were smuggling Nazi Nazi war criminals into the United States for use by the CIA. They lied to Truman falsified their paperwork they were engaged in assassinations and murder and all kinds of horrendous things and you know when you have blood on the roots of a tree typically that tree never changes and it never has so uh, the CIA has engaged the higher I got up the more I saw this uh, you don't see these things that there are some wonderful people in in the uh, regular average ranks of the CIA patriotic people some of my good friends were there when you get up into the higher levels of the CIA especially in covert operations. Then you start seeing the dark side, and then you start seeing the agency operating outside the Constitution under the veil of secrecy, many times without the knowledge of Congress, which are the representatives of the people, meaning that it is engaging in unconstitutional, illegal, and many times uh, human rights violations. Why Why did Truman
0: terminate the OSS, and what is the difference between the OSS and the CIA?
1: Well, the OSS was the precursor that came out of the war with Germany, and uh, they wanted a secret intelligence service that would would uh, try to penetrate the Third Reich. And that was kind of the OSS creation. And And some of them actually did get into the to the Third Reich. And there were some courageous people that penetrated into into Hitler's uh, ranks. And that's what the OSS mission was. When Truman came in, and it was after Pearl Harbor. Uh, His goal was uh, Pearl Harbor happened because of breakdown in intelligence. I can tell you this is a whole nother show. Um, FDR knew that Pearl Harbor was going to happen. And I got this from one of the Pacific generals, uh, uh, knowledgeable of this. It's on one of the Intelligence Hour radio interviews I did. Uh, FDR had been given intelligence that the Japanese were going to stage an attack in Hawaii FDR moved the most important battleships out of the harbor because he knew the attack was coming. He kept that information to himself and let Pearl Harbor happen. Uh, um, Truman's uh, reason for creating the CIA is they didn't want another Pearl Harbor. Well, Pearl Harbor itself happened because of a kind of false flag. So that's ironic. But he wanted and, and this And I think we still need something like this today, not like the CIA. But what he wanted was an objective intelligence agency that would collect foreign intelligence and provide it to the president so he could make good and accurate foreign policy decisions. And that's a good thing. And I think we need that. We need that today. Sadly, that's not what he got. Uh, Within the National Security Act of 1947, uh, when it gives the agency its charter, all it says is that, quote, the CIA can engage in activities that the National Security Council may from time to time direct. It says nothing about covert operations It says nothing about giving the CIA the power for covert operations. It says nothing about the CIA having the the authority to engage in coups. And none of that is in the in the wording of the National Security Act. It was expanded beyond its limits, beyond the Constitution, beyond uh, the legal constraints of the United States, way beyond uh, any definition of what it was supposed to do and, and eventually became a beast. And by the way, thanks for reminding our audience
0: about Pearl Harbor, because that's a, it's one of those things that people don't want to believe. And in case, folks, you haven't listened to my interview with Robert Stinnett, just Google search within our website for Day of Deceit, the truth about FDR and Pearl Harbor, and get ready for some truths that maybe you're not ready for, but it's important to discuss. Now, after the OSS came, the CIG, was there any difference between the CIG and the CIA, or did it just change its name?
1: It just changed its name. The CIA was was kind of a less uh, sophisticated and a much much smaller organization, uh, and the the CIG uh, Truman said, "Well, the CIG looks like it may be a good idea. Let's expand that into a national intelligence agency," and created the the uh, CIA out of that. Uh, and and we have to remember too that the Council on Foreign Relations was heavily involved, and many of the members were involved in the creation of the CIA, and many of the Council of Foreign Relations members were leadership of the CIA, including Alan Dulles, who was an extremely dark figure. So it came out of the Council on Foreign Relations, and the CIG morphed into the CIA, and most of the CIA leadership was uh, came out of the Council on Foreign Relations. You mentioned Alan Dulles and his brother, you know, good g- characters. Your yeah. take on his
0: participation in the Warren Commission, being that JFK had fired him.
1: That's right, and, and I, I'm probably the only— uh, and there are reasons for that. Probably the only CI officer, current or former, who will make the statement. But I will tell you that there is concrete evidence that the CIA was directly involved in the cover up of the JFK assassination. There's no question about that. Uh, there is some indication they were involved in the event itself. Uh, but one of the higher level um, evidences of that is is the Warren Commission overseeing uh, supposedly it was kind of a kangaroo uh uh, example, but uh, to to uh, investigate the assassination of John F. Kennedy, of all people, they appointed to run the Warren Commission, Alan Dulles, who was the arch enemy of John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy had fired him for the Bay of Pigs. Um, Dulles was extremely bitter about that and formed his own cabal of former CIA officers to try to come against the policies of John F. Kennedy. He despised Kennedy, Uh, You want to talk about motive. It was there. We know that Alan Dulles was responsible for high level connections uh, to the Nazis, uh, assassinations, uh, secret prisons, um, torture and all kinds of things. He was a uh, he was a very dark figure and he despised JFK. But talk about putting the fox in charge of the hen house. Alan Dulles elbowed his way into being in charge of the Warren Commission, investigating the assassination of his arch enemy.
0: Do you think, Kevin, that when a new president takes office, let's say, in this case, uh, President Donald Trump, he gets into the White House. Do you think that a new president is always shown the Zapruder film the first moment they get there, if you know what I mean?
1: Well, I I think they're more serpent-like than that. That would be too obvious. I think they'd probably pick up on that. No, they get him in there and they slowly uh, smooge them, tell them how great they are and with every president except Trump, they've told them, look, we, the CIA have all this knowledge and all this stuff that you don't know yet. Uh, and, uh, just listen to us. And they, they show him, uh, uh, things like the terrorist threat and other things that get the president convinced that, okay, these guys know what they're talking about. I'll just let them go with it. The idea is to convince every president, including Ronald Reagan, and convince every president that, well, okay, we'll just let the CIA and the NSA do what they do. And, uh, We'll leave that to them. And if they and there's kind of an unspoken law, if you do do something that is wrong, just don't tell me about it. Uh, So uh, every president that I know of today from Truman on has been schmoozed by what I call the shadow government, the secret intelligence agencies, except for this one fellow named Donald Trump. Uh, They don't quite know what to do with him, because as we all know, he's out of the box and he's made it clear that he was going to look into some of the things the CIA has done, even back to the Kennedy Assassination. Uh, so we got a whole different, almost a cold war, going on inside the government right now, which I, I, in my 20 years of government service, I've never seen anything like it. You know, yesterday, and I don't want to make
0: this interview political because we're an, we're a an political show, but I couldn't help it yesterday watching the State of the Union address, looking at the left, I couldn't believe that some of the things that the president was saying that's helping every single American. I know they're anti-Trumpers, but to me, they felt anti-American.
1: Well, that's right, Mel. And and I I am, uh, I was a Democrat and I was a Republican. And then when I realized kind of the, corruption in that system. I'm now an independent and more than anything I'm a constitutionalist. So I'm a non-political person. Uh but I can tell you when you when you watched the state of the union last night, you had people sitting down to to the greatness of the United States, uh the promises of the American people and their abilities uh to live their dream. I and mean, it was an all-American speech and you you had people sitting down during some some of those statements. Um yeah, uh, so it was I thought it was embarrassing for the Democrats that did that uh and you know there's some republicans that fall into those ranks too but generally the democrats just stayed seated i i thought it was it was an embarrassing uh show especially during the parts where they were uh uh lauding the usa and america for what it is they stayed seated when they were talking about that so it was kind of it was kind of a, a shameful display i thought when i think of jfk
0: i think that the nation lost its i don't want to say its virginity but its innocence Do you think that's an accurate statement?
1: Absolutely. We lost – well, we we, – our constitution suffered its first death in 1913 with the creation of the Federal Reserve when international banks – and most people don't know this – international banks created and took over the Federal Reserve uh, with no uh, American input. And then it died again in 1947 with the creation of the CIA – when the, when the JFK assassination happened, the entire American psyche changed because, you know, that, that was the the old Democrats, the real Democratic Party, which which I was. Uh, um, and and uh, America loved that that part of our country. When that assassination happened, it changed the whole mindset of America. Number one, something like that could happen in this country. And, and as uh, of course, the mainstream media won't touch this. And there's reasons for that. But as many good investigators have found, uh, there is evidence that that was an inside job. A lot of Americans can't cross that psychological line. But it was it was the death of Americans innocence in that our president, a beloved president, was killed, assassinated horribly. And then there was indication that the, uh, the investigation was terrible, botched. There were cover ups and are some very good books written on the fact that it was downright an inside job. Uh, So the Constitution died in 1913 with the Federal Reserve. It died again in 1947 with the creation of the unconstitutional CIA. And then when the assassination of JFK happened, uh, history changed. And I think Americans' mindset changed uh, as well. I would have to wholeheartedly agree with you. Those two events
0: changed the course of history. If that's the case, and I usually leave solutions for the end of the show, but I have to ask you now, how can we revert, revert to what we used to be before the Federal Reserve Act and even the Tax Revenue Act.
1: Well, it's you know, these are massive, massive, powerful agencies. It, it, and The only way is a unified uh, movement amongst the American people uh, t- towards the Constitution and, and alerting people that we've got to stop letting them divide us along the lines of Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, this and that. Uh, That's how they get away with this. They keep us divided so we can't unify and demand that this monster be brought down and brought back under the Constitution. So first of all, the American people are going to have to get unified through shows like yours and others outside of the mainstream media, which is just dividing everyone. We've got to have a social media movement, a grassroots movement, uh, a radio and television movement, every every possible avenue we can get to unify the American people and wake them up to the fact that these are illegal institutions. We are no longer a free uh, a country. And frankly, we're, we're a post-constitutional under a post-constitutional government. <clears throat> We've got to get that word out to as many people as we can and the fact that they can make a difference. And it's got to be a national movement, <clears throat> almost a political, well, almost nothing, a political revolution where the people on both sides of the street get together and say enough is enough. You've uh, robbed us of our Constitution. We want it back. And then clean out Congress and the Senate. People need to understand, excuse me, most of these people are statesmen. They have no more uh, intention of changing how Congress functions in the man uh, in the moon. They're they're interested in getting reelected. They're interested in, in the extra money they get on the side, the fame and the fortune. And only a few of them, perhaps, maybe perhaps Rand Paul and a couple of others, are really uh, constitutionalists, but the majority of them have no uh, intention of changing the status quo at all. So uh, they need to be fired. We need to fire them all. People need to understand that the measure of, a, of a, a congressman or senator is their voting record on constitutional issues like NSA surveillance and other things. That's the measure, and people need to unify and demand that these people get out of office and we vote new people in there based based on a, a constitutional standard. Term limits, wouldn't that be a first solution? Yes,
0: absolutely. Is it true, Kevin, that there are plenty of top secret classifications that are higher than the president and the president himself is not privy to certain information? And if that's the case, who does go beyond the president?
1: Yeah, that is true. The director of the CIA has a higher classification authority than than the president of the United States. And there are things that the president of the United States is not aware of in some of the compartments of the CIA. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mike Pompeo was assigned by Trump to run the CIA. And Mike Pompeo is a pretty decent guy. Uh, but but I understand now. And, and there's some some uh, articles out about this, that the CIA is now watching its own director, and, and Mike Pompeo, because they're afraid he's going to dig a little too deep. And uh, Mike Pompeo just came out recently and, and made the statement. Uh, the CIA is not part of the deep state Um, well he's kind of correct in that is in that the CIA is part of the shadow government which is the secret intelligence agencies that I talk about so uh, right and wrong at the same time. And it's like putting Mother Teresa over uh, a mafia crime family. Do you think the crime bosses are going to tell <laughs> Mother Teresa everything that they've been doing? Of course not. They'll go to jail. So do you think these directors in, the, in operations are going to tell Mike Pompeo everything they've been, been doing? I know. I've been out there. Heck no, they're not. I, I've seen this happen to directors. They're going to provide the director of the CIA only the things that they want him to see. Remember
0: when Kennedy said, uh, we'll want to break this agency into a million pieces into the wind. Something tells me that perhaps the Trump administration wants to pursue something like that, perhaps not so overtly. But uh, do you think that his intentions are to revamp all these secret agencies?
1: Well, yes, and I have to say this, <clears> that there are some people, excuse me, there, there's a lot of people out there that don't like Trump, and I understand that. There's a lot of people that are upset about his tweets. There's a lot of people upset, upset about the kind of person he is and on and on and on. But, but we have to remind people in, in, in many respects, uh, Trump's person is irrelevant. What is relevant is the fact that Trump can't be bought, can't be manipulated. He, because of his out of the box uh, personality, um, they're afraid he's actually going to carry through on on his promises to investigate the CIA and which they're doing right now, investigating the illegal parts of NSA surveillance. He's actually doing it. Uh, he, and and the shadow government is terrified of that. And you can see this war going on within Washington right now between Trump, between the shadow government and the deep state. It is unbelievable. It we now appears pretty clearly that the FBI... Created false affidavits to get NSA surveillance on the Trump campaign and transition team of a president elect. So uh, I think, uh, whatever you think of Donald Trump, the fact of the matter is he is is shaking the shadow government, and they are terrified that he is actually going to investigate some of the things that they've done. And uh, that's what's happening. How is he so. I know that the. Again, many
0: people are criticizing the top heads of the CIA, the FBI, but I know. The people who work there, I know some CIA officers, FBI agents, they're great people. The rank and file. Yes. But when it comes to the top, how is Trump protected from moving forward with everything people like you and I would like to see happen?
1: Well, he's hes in a very dangerous position. He's surrounded by what people call the swamp, what I call a shadow government and, and the deep state. The deep state is a military industrial complex and kind of the greed and money system behind Washington. Uh, but he is surrounded by people that they have essentially already done a character assassination on him, calling him mentally unstable. They've gone after his family. They've gone after uh, all of that. And now Robert Mueller is veering off the Russia probe, and he's starting to get into some of the financial things uh, in Trump's past, which is not within his parameter. Uh, he uh, he charged um, uh, General Flynn. They couldn't find a charge of Flynn colluding with the Russians, so they got him got him on the FBI's uh, favorite uh, secondary false charge of lying to investigators, like they did with Martha Stewart when they couldn't prove uh, that she committed a crime. So uh, um, it is it's dangerous for Trump uh, in terms of politically because they are after him, and I think it's even dangerous to him personally. Now he's smart; he's kept his I used to be involved with the secret service and I was a protective agent on the CIA director's detail. So I understand how these things work, Uh, but Trump has actually kept his own security on his inner circle. Then then he's got the secret service working with them on the outside, which I think is a very smart move because uh, uh, he's in, I think a a very um, dangerous position in that there are people, uh, if if he traces back to JFK, I know the shadow government and and even the deep state. There are people within our government that will do whatever they can to retain their power. And that puts him in, in I think, a very dangerous position.
0: Just to clarify, what is the difference between shadow government and deep state?
1: OK, the shadow government, it's, ver- it's a very important distinction. The shadow government is the secret system behind government, which includes primarily I call the central node The CIA, because it's so unconstitutional, then you have the National Security Agency, you have certain secret uh, compartments within the FBI, and that system of secrecy has gotten so powerful and so impenetrable that not even Congress knows the size and extent of it. Congress can't penetrate into it because it it, it will not give them the clearances. Congress is supposed to control the secret CIA budget, for example, but the CIA blacks out and withholds all the documents necessary for Congress to do that. So it paralyzes Congress. It manipulates Congress. It It refuses, for example, after 9/11, the CIA was the only agency to refuse to, pr- to provide information on what it knew to the 9/11 Commission. So the secret government, are the secret intelligence agencies, and as as JFK said almost prophetically, secrecy will go wrong every time when put in the hands of power, put in the hands of government. And that secret system is manipulating our government. That's the shadow government, the deep state's kind of the money and greed system that that runs the government you got the military industrial complex all these uh like lockheed martin which which essentially runs most of the surveillance programs for the CIA and the nsa including monitor monitoring all of our irs communications which most people don't know that's that's the deep state you've got uh, lobbyists for lockheed martin seic and all these other companies and uh, my uh, uh, research showed me that lockheed seic csra and these big uh, caci and these big companies Contribute about $700,000 a year to the congressmen and senators that sit on the Armed Services Committee into their reelection campaigns and their leadership packs. So, how do you think they're going to vote? Well, they're going to vote for war. They're going to vote for the military industrial complex every time. That's why we see people like John McCain on every news program he can get on. He's always for war. He's always for war in Syria, uh, in Syria. war against Ukraine, war against the Russians, on and on and on. Well, he's getting, in his case, about $698,000 as the armed services chairman, a year in contributions into his campaign. So he loves war. It's profitable. That is the deep state. That's how the deep deep state operates with money and greed. Same thing with Lindsey Graham. But just since you mentioned McCain, you probably
0: have heard the stories about uh, what he knew about the, our prisoners of war in Vietnam and how he was approached by many people asking, we still have people back there, help us. And he pretended he didn't know. Do you That's know what
1: right. I'm referring to? Yes, yes. Unlike Bob Dole, uh, who who is a big proponent of going and finding the the POWs, the the missing POWs, John McCain of all people, having been a prisoner, refused to support that effort. As shocking that as that may be, and there that may be because he's got some, from what I have been told, skeletons in his closet about his time when he was in captivity. Uh, why in the world would a former prisoner uh, have no interest and in not support? Uh, going out trying to find our missing POWs. It doesn't make any sense unless he's got something in the closet he doesn't want people to know about. Maybe you know
0: this, but I'm told that H. Ross Perot, you remember him in 1988, I believe it was, uh, running against uh, Bush at the time. I'm told that the reason why he ran was because at one point before, years before, he went to the White House and he wanted to meet with President Reagan Because he received satellite pictures with the eviction innovation codes of people that were still there in the late 70s and early 80s. And he went there, and instead of meeting with President Reagan, he met with the vice president at the time, and Bush told him, we're not going to take care of this. Don't ever mention this again. Get out. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm going to put all my money into running against you, and guess what happened? Yeah. He lost. Yeah. Your take on that.
1: Well, yeah. We're dealing, again, we're dealing with a very powerful system uh, that doesn't want to be exposed and that doesn't want these things to come out. And they've got uh, the power, the ability and the money behind them to do that and shut these things down. Now, when we hear of trillions of dollars, you remember,
0: I think this is September 10th, 2001. You had Secretary Ronsfeld there in front of Congress saying, we lost $2.3 trillion. How does that happen in the 21st century, Kevin.
1: Yeah, that is correct. And we also understand that the Federal Reserve has lost a few trillion also. Uh, Now, when you lose when you lose money, it's like the CIA saying they lost the videos to the torture report. When the government loses that amount of money, that's a huge amount of money. When they say they've lost it, that's usually code for, well, we're hiding it. Uh, so you got to ask. Uh, you, you don't lose that kind of money. Uh, yeah, there's government incompetence, but not not at that magnitude. So so you have to ask where did that money go? Well, it, obviously there's there's a secret budget program, uh, and I'm convinced that where that money went to. And then you have to ask yourself exactly what was that? But if the money is allocated, say, to the East
0: Department of Defense, you know, it really makes you wonder how every penny is not being tracked. But you know, let me mention this for the for those who don't know. The Central Intelligence Agency Act, CIA Act of 1949, or Public Law 10, gave the CIA the authority to keep its budget, fiscal operations, and administrative procedures confidential and exempt from public disclosure. Almost like the Fed, uh, the Federal Reserve, that is obviously a privilege of the CIA. Has that privilege been misused, Kevin?
1: Oh, absolutely. And actually, the CIA's budget is above confidential. It's secret. And you have to have a secret clearance to get any access with that. And guess who grants that clearance? The CIA does. Uh, and you better believe they've misused that budget. For example, uh, with Augusto Pinochet in Chile, uh, his junta where he th- overthrew the government, the CIA was actually in there paying uh, Pinochet's uh, human rights violators, the, the torturers. I think they uh, they tortured and killed 46,000 people, 200,000 disappeared. Some of them were pushed out of helicopters over the ocean, I understand. And many of Pinochet's operators were paid Buy the CIA with our tax dollars because of their secret budget. And that's gone on and on all the way down through Iran-Contra. And I was in the CIA during that time where they used our tax dollars to run guns to Iran, which which was illegal it was a violation of U.S. and international law and then run drugs in, into the United States. I did an interview with a DEA supervisor that witnessed the CIA running drugs uh, and and telling the DEA to stand down. So they're running drugs back in uh, on the planes from the Contras into the US, using secrecy, using our tax dollars because of their secret budget, and on and on it goes. They've staged 80 coups, the CIA has, with our tax dollars. They've overturned democratically elected governments because of our tax dollars. On and on and on it goes. That's why I'm, I'm calling for in my interviews uh, the National Security Act of 1947 needs to be rescinded and they need to structure and organize a new intelligence service originally the way that Truman intended.
0: I am so happy to hear this from you, Kevin, because you know, you're a former CIA officer talking about this. But I remember back in 1997 when I moved to Arizona, I came to Tucson and I was invited to a, a social gathering in a house in the foothills. And I'm outside with a glass of wine, looking at the beautiful scenery at night. And next to me, there's this lady, probably in her early 60s. And she starts looking at the lights and says to me, you see those lights, half of those lights would be completely down if if drugs were legalized. And I looked at her like, who are you? And she told me, I'm a retired CIA officer. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she explained to me, you see, we keep the monopoly going so that the prices can always be high. And that's the first time I ever heard that there's any type of involvement between the CIA and the drug world. And this is why we keep the drug war going. Your take on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and people need to know what an abomination. Uh, Not only that our government is doing this, but the CIA is doing actually engaging in drug trafficking. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about Operation Gladio. Of course. In Italy. Yes, where where the CIA was staging false terrorist attacks using Nazi holdovers from Nazi Germany. They were staging false terrorist attacks, blowing things up. I think they killed 419 people. And then they were they were uh, taking the money used for drugs uh, from the mafia, laundering that through the secret bank at Vatican, where they had a CI officer stationed, and then selling those drugs uh, on the U.S. streets in the cities to make money to fund more operational Gladio operations, literally selling drugs within the United States. I endorsed a book by Paul Williams on that, reluctantly, but after I read it, there were 2,000 sources in there. Of course, I was aware of, of how these things work. I finally endorsed the book because it's an absolute historical fact, that the CIA was running drugs to the inner city in the United States to fund false flag terrorist attacks in Italy and actually killed people trying to make it look like the Italian government did it. Once again, folks, if you want to learn more about Operation Gladio, buy that. I saw that book
0: when you look at your name on Amazon, it appears. But we also did an interview with somebody else who wrote a book about Gladio, and I also had a question about Gladio for you. And for those who don't know, folks, Operation Gladio is undisputed historical fact. It was a part of a post-World War II program set up by the CIA and NATO, supposedly to, to toward future Soviet communist invasions or influence in Italy and Western Europe. But here's why I kept that term here, Operation Gladio, for you here in this interview. When I looked at the election of President Trump, and I see all the operatives that were left behind within the shadow government, the deep state, Are we experiencing Operation Gladio within our own government here?
1: I I would say yes. I I would say, and if you look at uh, kind of the statements that that, uh, the former CIA directors and NSA directors have made, and let, let me make an important point here because... Uh, Some talk radio and some Republicans say that, well, these deep state people are Obama holdovers and they're trying to get Trump because they were appointed by Obama. That's simply not true. The deep state goes across both Republican and Democratic institutions. For example, John Brennan, director of the CIA, who hacked into the Senate computers about the torture report, he goes back 30 years in the CIA, across multiple administrations, Democratic and, Rep- and Republican. Uh, then, then you've got James Clapper, who's been in intelligence for decades and was actually connected to British intelligence before he moved over to U.S. intelligence. So these are deep state shadow government people that have been in place for decades and are arrayed against this president. Then you have General Michael Hayden. My goodness, he's kind of like the deep, deep state king who was both the director of the NSA and the CIA, calling out, coming out CIA directors are supposed to be non-political and impartial. That's part of their job. Hayden comes out and calls Trump a useful idiot. Mike Morrell, the acting director of the CIA, comes out and says that he'll do anything to stop Trump from being elected and he's gonna support Hillary Hillary Clinton any way he can. These intelligence officials are not supposed to be making public statements like that, but they've actually come out in the open in interviews and said these things. And of course, now we have this so-called dossier where we know that the CIA intentionally leaked that to the press. On purpose manipulating the press, so yes we do we have we have an operation from specifically the shadow government against this sitting president, whatever you think of Donald Trump, the fact of the matter is he is shaking the boat he's starting to investigate what they 're doing they're, they are They are narcissistic. I work with some of these people, some of them are, are, are sociopaths. They will do whatever it takes to keep this man from opening the closets and investigating what they've been doing for the last forty years. They will do literally anything
0: This is whether you like Trump or you don't folks, but this is the first time in my life where I've seen after one year of taking office, the president this president has made promises that he has kept all the other president it might it might take him eight years to do so, but in the first
1: year he has done so. So what's in store for the future, you think? Yeah, you know, it's such an important distinction because I just hope that, that people have an open mind for the facts. Because, you know, I, I've met people that are so uh, voraciously anti-Trump that, that they don't care what the facts are. They, they're going to go with that no matter what happens. If you look at the State of the Union, uh, he made some he's, – he's done some remarkable – changes. He, he talked about making uh, pharmaceutical drugs uh, cheaper. He slapped Big Pharma right in the face with that statement. He did, yes. And that no president's ever done that. It, usually he's in their pocket. He mentioned something which I, which I thought was phenomenal. He wants to improve or, or allow experimental medicine for terminally ill patients to use experimental medicine. No president's ever done that. There are people lining up with terminal illnesses, crying out for alternative treatments. I'll allow the them pres- to try Yes, and he's going to allow them to try that. that no president's ever done that. And of course, we've got the tax cut, which is already bringing Apple and other companies back in the United States into the billions, billions of dollars. He is actually literally defeating ISIS when Obama uh, and I know from some pilots, Ob- Obama ordered the pilots not to bomb ISIS. There was a tanker uh, of ISIS trucks carrying fuel and Obama wouldn't let the Air Force bomb the, the uh, convoy until they dropped leaflets to ISIS Letting them know that the attack was coming, so they could escape. Uh, uh, Trump is actually nailing ISIS, and they're pretty much—they've uh, lost almost all their ground uh, un, under him. He's, so he's doing these things. And whatever you think of Donald Trump, he is doing these things. And some of these—I sat back last night and, and told my wife, I have never seen a president have the guts to come up against a big farmer like that, or to open up experimental medicine like he did uh, ever. So uh, some of this is dramatic.
0: You said something interesting about ISIS, because before we saw all these, you probably, you've seen the video, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of new Toyota trucks. And the first thing that comes to mind is those trucks are probably about 25, dollars $30, $35,000 each. Yeah. Where are they getting their money? In today's day and age, that money should be flowing somewhere electronically. I doubt, well, unless there's just dropping pallets of cash, but that money should be going from somewhere. All of a sudden, Trump gets elected. Could it be that that funding to ISIS, the traditional funding source, stopped? And this is what ISIS is, quote unquote, on the run?
1: Well, I, you know, I told my wife before Trump was elected, I said, this is this is how we're going to tell whether he's legitimate or not. We'll see if he stops U.S. funding for the Free Syrian Army and its connections to ISIS. We'll, we'll see what, what he does with that. One of the first things he did was defund the Free Syrian Army. And we know that starting with Libya and Benghazi, where Hillary Clinton and the Department of State illegally ran guns into Libya and trained some of the jihadists there and and the arms wound up in in the hands of al-Qaeda. We know that ISIS is carrying U.S. weapons, U.S. missiles, and they're driving U.S. tanks. Uh, uh, And and you're right. They've got got these brand new Toyotas. Where the heck did they get those from? It takes a lot of money. We, We know that ISIS has been controlling and selling a lot of oil. And then you've got other countries backing them up. But it's clear that a lot of the arms and the training of some, many ISIS members actually came from the United States.
0: Well, I didn't want to say this now, but I'm going to anyway. You know, I'm looking at ISIS. I'm looking at, uh, uh, well, let's go back to Al-Qaeda for a moment. I'm thinking of uh, Ayman al-Sawahiri, the new leader of Al-Qaeda after Osama bin Laden. It's almost as if the, you know, he and him and Al-Qaeda disappeared and a new improved boogeyman was created, ISIS. How do you think of that transition?
1: Well, the military industrial complex and the deep state must have a boogeyman to make their billions of dollars. Your average CEO in the military industrial complex makes about $27.1 million a year in in salary, so they need a boogeyman. ISIS is a great boogeyman because ISIS extends the quote-unquote war on terror, which is a significant statement because it puts us in a continual state of emergency, which the military industrial complex loves because they can keep making bombs, bullets and guns. So uh, th- there is indication that there was no intention of stopping ISIS whatsoever. And As a matter of fact, some some people think there there must there, there probably was some at least indirect support of ISIS, uh, which allowed them to, to to grow to the extent that they did. Uh, and now, uh, along those same lines, we have the demonization of russia oh, Russia's this big ogre, so we 've got to stock up, and we've got to move all these guns and they're now arming Ukraine, I think, to the tune of three hundred and fifty i think million dollars in arms they just provide to ukraine and russia is is the new boogeyman, and that they 've got to create these boogeymen so they can keep making bombs and bullets and and pumping themselves up with cash essentially. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm
0: thinking of years ago when I mentioned uh, when ISIS came along, I found their website. Yeah, folks, believe it or not. And somebody hurt me and just sent me a few weeks ago a copy of the Yellow Page book showing ISIS. Are you familiar with Fort Huachuca, by
1: the way? I've heard of it, but not in detail.
0: Well, it's not too far away from where I am. It's in Sierra Vista, Arizona, one of the biggest army bases. But right there, there's ISIS. For anybody that wants to know, 4116 Avenida Cochise. I have a phone number and an email. It's defense contractors. It's uh, defense, navy, air force, planes, the whole thing. And the name is ISIS. It, it, you know, it's right in your face. All of a sudden, after this became public, they changed their website to something else from ISIS.org to something else. Do you think that perhaps this defense contractor was being used right in our faces and we didn't know about it?
1: Well, I know from from some uh, informed people, uh, uh, informed especially about Operation Gladio back in Italy, uh, they consider that there is a new Operation Gladio going on with support of terrorist organizations to fund the military industrial complex, go after oil in places like Syria. And that there's now actually a modern Operation Gladio going on involving ISIS and other things. And, and um, I've listened to what they've had to say, and I think uh, there there is some merit to what they're saying. I have to
0: tell you, once again, I don't mean to continue embracing President Trump, but he's not doing anything for me to go against him at this time. And as I said, I voted Democrat, I voted Republican, I'm apolitical, I'm an independent. But when I hear that people are getting more money with the tax cuts, things are getting better for everybody. When I hear all these people all the time that want him out, want him impeached, want him ejected, want him killed, I think, where are these the new Bolsheviks that are trying to take over this nation? Kevin,
1: yeah, yes, it's. I mean, they deny the facts so much. As a matter of fact, in the case case of some news outlets, they downright lie about these things, and, and we've talked about this. How could they lie uh, so badly or appear so ignorant unless it's intentional? And I, I think yes, there is something similar to a kind of a leftist, almost Marxist, Bolshevik revolution in the United States. Um, and and uh, Cass Sunstein, the, the husband of Samantha Powers, who unmasked 260 Americans, the U.N. ambassador, how she got that kind of power as the ambassador. I don't know. The Cass Sunstein Sunstein is an example of those who've come out and said we need to change the Constitution. We, we need to change the First Amendment because it gives too many too much freedom to people. So that there is uh, kind of like a, a, a huge leftist Marxist movement in this country, much of which is in the mainstream media. And it's right out there in in your face for everybody to see the propaganda that they put out is, is the exact opposite of the truth. And sometimes it just seems absolutely stupid. Well, it's not stupid. It's intentional propaganda. So, yes, I think there is an actual move. Uh, some of these editors in the mainstream media came up from the communism, Marxist hippie days way back when. And now they're editors, et cetera. Some of them are directly connected to the CIA. That's a whole nother talk. Uh, so they are manipulating the news and they are putting propaganda. That's why the mainstream media is gone. It's dead. That's why the only remaining pillar for our democracy and the Constitution is, is alternative media, credible alternative alternative news, news stations like this. And others that are getting this message out because the mainstream media is not doing it. They're gone. They're bought and paid for. They're connected to U.S. intelligence. They're parroting government government information. But see, people are listening to that propaganda because they don't know this and they're just, they're just buying it. And what I'm about to say may offend some people, but, you know, I don't like dynasties.
0: I don't like when I see the Bush coming down, coming down again, and the Clintons. I don't like a political party to be in power for too long. I, when Obama took office, I was ready for a change. So the same thing would happen in the future. But with this, this, the the left, that they want this illegal immigration, they want open borders, they want to bring people from all over the world. Something tells me that what they want is to rule until the sun doesn't shine. Because if they can't get the votes with the people that they have in place in the United States, They need votes from roads from elsewhere. That's just my humble conclusion.
1: No, I think you're exactly right, Mel, because uh, one of the things that the Trump election showed is that there's millions of America, Americans out there that are fed up with government tyranny that we've seen over the last 20, 30 years. And they they came out and they voted. And, And the people on the left understand that. Uh, these millions of people are out there So their their uh, modus operandi Is to bus, open the borders up Get immigrants in here as many as they can Because when you give them benefits Who are they going to vote for? They're going to vote for the left every time All this is backed up by George Soros Who has come out publicly and said He wants to eliminate U.S. national sovereignty It was George Soros I think he gave $27 million to Hillary's campaign He gave another, another $29 million or so To Barack Obama's campaign to get them in Because he wants to destroy the U.S. border destroy U.S. sovereignty. And the way they all see this is by bringing millions of immigrants in. Those become votes, and those will tip the scales for them.
0: Speaking of Soros, I used to live in Asia in the mid-'90s, and I remember spending time in Malaysia. They wanted Soros, on his head on a silver platter, because this man, believe it or not, is so powerful that he talks about a country, and he loves to short. He treats countries like, like a stock so when yeah. he shorts them, he says something about a country, the country's economy goes down and he makes billions. They wanted him dead. Why is it taking so long for this guy to be
1: stopped? Yeah, and he he has destroyed, literally destroyed uh, the currencies of some countries. He seriously injured the, the economy of the United Kingdom. And I think one country, it was Thailand, uh, he, he he ruined their economy. And, and, Malaysia, too. And, yes. And, and Hungary has just come out and called him a criminal. So. Yes. Uh, uh, He's he's viewed as a criminal by the rest of the world, uh, including Russia. Uh, Here in America, he's got influence through Media Matters, uh, pumping millions of dollars into the mainstream media. Uh, He's got tremendous influence within the United States, which is just remarkable. Uh, And you you keep wondering, uh, how does this guy get away with this? How does this guy keep himself insulated? Well, we talk about this this, uh, left movement in the United States. Uh, They're protecting him. They're taking his money. Uh, They're doing everything they can to support him. So a large part of his support comes out of this movement in the United States.
0: I remember December after the election. I was in Budapest, and I have I saw more Trump stickers on cars there than I ever saw here in the United States. So obviously they have a they're fans of Trump over there. But you use the term imploded a lot throughout your book. When did the agency, that's how it's known, the agency begin to implode, and what caused its implosion? It seems to me that the Soviet Union was what kept the CIA busy. Once the Soviet Union collapsed, and I think this also applies to the whole military-industrial intelligence complex, other enemies had to be created to justify not only its existence, but, you know, we need an intelligence agency, but perhaps its size and its budget.
1: Uh, Well, well, yes. uh, I was there when the Soviet Union collapsed, and it was a remarkable time. And that rocked, literally rocked the CIA because when the wall fell and a lot of people don't know this, but when when the Soviet Union fell, the KGB, it was such a a, it was really essentially it was a religious revival within the Soviet Union. Uh, uh, uh which where the people were fed up their religious freedom had been taken away when they got their chance they took it including many russian russian officials and the KGB what the KGB did for us the CIA was they actually invited us uh, us into KGB headquarters opened their their secret files and let and let us look through all the paperwork we found crazy things uh, what they did in the gulags they had the brains of former fro- uh, soviet uh, union leaders frozen so they could see how they could make great great men like that in the future i mean they literally opened all their files to us, took took us down and showed us the gulags. Uh, It was one of the most remarkable things I have ever seen, probably one of the most remarkable remarkable events in history. On the CIA side, the the specter of communism is what kept it alive and and funded. Well that was gone and they they were cutting out entire divisions of the CIA. People were losing jobs. Everybody was terrified. One senior manager offline told me, you all are in deep SHIT because basically the agency is just imploding. It's losing money, funding. It doesn't know where to go. And, and of course, now that the war on terror has been created, it's, it's got itself back together again. But it was a serious time. The agency's existence was in jeopardy during that period that period between what was it 91 when the soviet union
0: collapsed 91 to two thousand one, ten 10 years what happened during those 10 years was it preparation we had the embassy bombings in kenya we had the the world trade Terror bombing in 93 was it just preparation to the next phase for the next phase
1: well, yeah, of course it was. It was preparation for its own survival and building internally how it could find some reason for its existence uh, and rebuilding itself, reorganizing itself, uh, trying to, to bring up reasons, drum up reasons for Congress to to approve uh, its budget. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, it was in it was absolute 100% survival mode. And the War of Terror essentially is what bailed it out. We have so
0: much more to discuss, but we have to take a one and only break. How can people buy... The the book the best selling book.
1: Well, Mel, I'd recommend it's on Amazon.com. I'd recommend they go to ForTheLoveOfFreedom.net because that book has the code stamped in it. Am, you won't find that in Amazon. They can buy it there. That's fine. If they want the code stamped in the book, then they can go to ForTheLoveOfFreedom.net and they can get it there. And then the publisher will get it to me. I'll sign it, and we'll get it out to them. And the title is "From the Company of Shadows: An Exposé
0: on CIA Operations and the Abuse." of government secrecy. We have Kevin Ship as our special guest tonight, and we have so much more when we come back. This is Mel Babergus, and you are listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or subscribe at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil pure organic sulfur and other great products. Thank you.